0: You're talking about sin. Uh, like I said, it's a topic that I feel like I understand deeply, and I'm sure all of you do as well, because it's something we as humans are, are deeply acquainted with. It's part of our DNA, the sinful topic. And I feel like sin is a, is a huge issue because there's currents within Christendom, within the evangelical churches, that try to minimize sin uh, and the, the, the Depth of sin and the wrongness of sin and the evilness of sin, the problem of sin, even to the point that sin is being taken out of and removed from the gospel message. It's taken out of God. It's almost like God uh, sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for for good people. If sin wasn't so bad, why did Jesus have to die? If sin wasn't sin, and it creates all these issues, how are we supposed to share the gospel and? and throw you know, the life preserver of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are drowning in the sin of humanity and personal sin? Why are they supposed to latch on to the message of Jesus Christ if sin really isn't a problem at all? Why should I grab hold of that? Why? So we're going to be talking about sin. And I like to give you an illustration of sin, uh, and that comes from my own life. I am, I am a sinner. I have to tell you this because most of you wouldn't realize that. Eunice and my family knows very, uh, are acutely aware of my sinful nature. You guys, on the other hand, aren't as much. So I'll tell you from childhood stories because if I told anything too recent, you'd be very concerned and whatnot. So I'm gonna, childhood stories are safe. So I'm going to tell you about when I was a kid. And kids, I do not prescribe any of these stories that I tell. As Don't go do these. They're bad. They're sinful. Okay, They're, they're awful. So uh, one of the things that uh, I grew up, being, as a sinner, was a thief. My older brother, and I won't name him, but he was my older brother, oldest brother, uh, he taught the rest of us boys, there's four boys in my family, to be thieves. And that doesn't seem like you know, a very good thing for your older brother to be teaching you, and it's not, but he taught us to be thieves, and we'd go to Walmart, and he showed me how to steal chewing gum at Walmart. Instead of going and just stealing the pack of chewing gum and sticking it in your pocket, he showed me where they have these refills for the little bubble gum dispensers, and he said, John, watch, and he showed me, pulled the little corner open, and these bubble, they had the little, uh, you know, balls in there, they would fall out of the corner into his hand, and he would pop them in his, out, his mouth, and while you're chewing, you're destroying the evidence, and the product is still on the shelf. That was the beauty of the whole, the whole scheme, you know, was that the product was still on the shelf, he had destroyed the evidence, and it's like, no, no one's the wiser. And uh, so uh, it was, that's how I grew up. Wesley, uh, did I just say his name? We're not going to be able to post this on the internet now. So uh, anyways, I've already done it. So Wesley taught all of us how to, how to steal. And that's how I grew up, stealing stuff. And uh, I remember going to one of my friends' house growing up, and I went into his older brother's room, and I saw a mound of cash on his dresser, $20 bills. So many of them, I was like, he's not going to miss one of them. And so I stole a $20 bill. And I went home, and I was just waiting for a phone call for somebody to accuse me of stealing. Never did, never came. And so I was like, well, it's $20 is mine. What am I going to do? That's a conundrum for a a young boy. It's like your parents know you don't have a job, and you don't have any money. So if you go and buy something, they're going to start asking questions. So I decided to go across the street, which was breaking my mom's rule. We're not supposed to cross this big main road to get to a gas station where I blew all $20 of that money on Laffy Taffy candies. Five cents a piece. <laughs> you can't do the math. That is a lot of Laffy Taffy candy. And went back to the park, because I couldn't go home with $20 of Laffy Taffy candy, went to the park and proceeded to devour the whole entire lot of candy and buried the evidence, all the wrappers, underneath the, the playground rocks and stuff. And so my mom wouldn't find I was still scared my mom. Moms just find out somehow. I don't know how, but they find out. So I was still scared and buried all the evidence and, and thought I got, a, a, got away with it. And I'm not going to lie to you at all. That was one of the best days of my life. I love that candy. It was so delicious. I mean, it was just, I'm not a lick-a-lollipop kind of guy. I'm like... You know, bite into it in the rush of flavor. And it was like $20 of of Laffy Taffy. It was just a rush of sugar. I don't have a sugar tooth. I have sugar teeth. All my teeth. They just love sugar. Ask Eunice. I love sugar. That's why I still drink southern sweet tea. It has like three pounds of sugar for, you know, one gallon of of tea. But isn't that why we sin? Is because it feels good and it helps us to get something that we want. If sin didn't feel good, if it tasted like vegetables, sorry for you help nuts out there, if it was like having to do chores or do homework, if it was like going to the dentist, which I do a lot nowadays, if it's uh, like listening to politics all day long, if it was tedious and boring, it, it, it wouldn't be appealing at all, would it? We, there'd be a whole lot less sin if, if sin wasn't enjoyable and fun, if it didn't get us something that we wanted. How can sin, and you hear this a lot, how can something that feels so good, be so wrong? How can something feel so good and yet be so wrong? Why is sin sin? Why is sin sin? Why is it wrong? Now, theologically, when you open up your, your books and read the commentaries and, like, uh, you know, and define sin, sin is anything that you do that goes against the holiness of God. And that's a great definition, but it's a little bit ambiguous in my mind as I've grown up and you know it's just like what does it what does that mean it goes against the holiness of God I've heard other definitions uh when we were working with child evangelism fellowship we lo- used to like to say sin is anything that we think say or do that displeases God and it was like yeah that's absolutely true that's a great definition but I think it when we leave it simply at that people come up with a, a wrong they, they get a misunderstanding of who God is just whatever displeases God. It's almost like he's a whimsical God and we just have to, you know, uh, to do all of his whimsical rules, abide by them so we don't sin. I mean, it just kind of gives us misportrayal of who God is. And my big question always was, you know, growing up is, but why does it displease God? I think that's the part of the equation that sometimes we forget about. Sin is sin because, yes, it goes against the holiness of God. Yes, it makes him upset. Yes, he hates it. But why does he hate sin so much? Why is it deserving of our death as a punishment? And the bigger question is why is sin so bad that it demands the sacrifices of of his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to cover our sins? What makes sin sin? Why is it so wrong? Why is it so bad? Dennis is okay, if I use one of your worship service schedules here, yeah, there you are. Thank you. All right, I need a volunteer. Did this over at the Calhoun Christian School the other day. I need a volunteer, preferably some, uh, preferably a man who was a troublemaker in school. I see. I see a a wife volunteering her husband. Okay. Thank you. Would you mind making me the best paper airplane you possibly can? No pressure, but everybody's watching and we're on the clock. <laughs> if I don't get to my conclusion because this takes you too long, it's your fault. Everybody misses out. Everybody just watch them right now. That's not going to, just watch. Did you make many of these growing up, Peter? Yeah, a couple of them. Did you make them in class? Did you throw them in class? This is very important, so I'm going to wait. What are you making back there? Not a helicopter, an airplane. Bet you never made a paper airplane in a church before while the pastor's preaching. There we go. Think it'll make it up here, Peter? Give it your best shot. Come on, big money. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't bad. That's good technique right there, being a, a young man who has thrown a couple of these in the classroom before I like the weighted nose the nice uh, surface area of the wings is good you know good proportion to the body I like that I'm surprised it didn't actually make it further it's a pretty nice airplane can everybody see it okay it's a good airplane I mean I really like this it's probably one of the best worship service orders I have ever seen pull it up as an airplane like this this is great isn't it does everybody see it okay nice Why did you have that first initial response? Oh, oh, well, yes, because I'm a sinner. I just obviously destroyed this hard work, investment that Peter made on this piece of paper. Why did you go, oh, why did you do that? What, because (laughs) it's, you know, why did it, why did you have that response? Debbie, you're saying, I hurt his feelings, (laughs) yeah, yeah, why though? Was it kind of wrong of me to do that? Why? Did I make this? No, Peter did. Yes, Peter made this. He worked, obviously, very hard and long on this paper airplane. And uh, when we did this over at the Christian school, the same exact response was like, oh, I can't believe you just did that. You just destroyed someone's hard work. You worked so hard in, in making that, you know, and took somebody else's possession and destroyed it. This paper airplane, obviously, wasn't that important to Peter. But imagine if I took something that was precious to you. That you did spend a lot more time in creating and doing and, and just went and destroyed that. You know, it just kind of rubs us the wrong way. And the reason it rubs us the wrong way is because there, I think there's something inherent in, a, in, our, in our human, it's beyond human nature. I think it's part of our God imprint in our lives. Where we recognize uh, pa- patent and copyright laws, that they are based on creation and authorship is ownership. When you make something, it is yours. And you get to define its use. You get to, to say what it is used for, what the purpose is for. It's yours to sell. It's yours to keep. You can sit on it if you want. You can do whatever you want with because you made it. And if somebody else comes in and infringes upon that right, that, that ownership right, that authority right, because you made it, we, we recognize that there's something wrong with that. Ooh, ooh, that's wrong. Why did you go and do that? There's something wrong with that. We have rights over things we create. We recognize this in the copyright and patent laws. But really, we're only manipulating something that someone else has already made. Genesis 1, God says that God actually created them just by breathing them into being. Ex nilo, out of nothing. He spoke the world into being with a breath. How much more should God have the ownership and control and say about the best function and direction and purpose of his creation than the creator himself who else this is my first point that i would like to to make today is sin is sin simply because god is god because he said so kids when your parents say because i said so they can't say that there's only one that can say because i said so and because when he said the earth came into being Sin is sin simply because God said so. Because God created, God is the owner, and he has the rights and the authority. Genesis 1.1. We're going to look through a couple of different passages, and I think I have them up here on the screen. Are they large enough for you guys to read along there? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's go to the next slide here. We're going to just kind of rush through there. Hebrews one three, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hold on here for a second. It says upholds. The word that is... uh, Uphold is not simply just upholding. It's the same word that was used for when the the, uh, friends of the paralyzed man, when they were carrying him to Jesus. They weren't just upholding him. They weren't just carrying him. They were directing. They were guiding him. This upholding has a lot more nuance to it than just carrying or upholding. So uh, it's talking about Jesus Christ here. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let's go to the next one here. Nehemiah 9.6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. A lot of times, you know, there's deists. Deism used to be a lot more popular of a, of a position where people thought that God just created the world. He started spinning like a basketball on the finger and just started like spinning it away and he got it spinning and he just walked away and left the world and the universe to, to its own. That's deism. But according to this verse, God preserves all of them. He is actively keeping them in motion. He is actively involved with his creation. Let's go on to the next slide here. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. This isn't just Christians. This is all of humanity, all of of creation that this passage is talking about. We cannot live. We cannot move. We cannot sit in these pews. I cannot talk. You cannot breathe. We cannot drive. We cannot eat. All of this is because of Christ. For in him we live, move, and have our being. Let's go to the next slide here. And Job, if he should take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If God stopped, if he was not actively involved in his creation, if he just withheld his breath, if he just held his breath, what would happen to us his creation back to dust i don't think we understand the precarious nature of our position of our dependency on a holy god if he were to walk away we know he hasn't walked away because if he did we would cease to exist we'd cease to exist Sin is sin because God is God. He is holy. He is totally other. He is separate. He's set apart. He's the only one who has truly created. We are manipulators. He alone is creator, sustainer, orchestrator, director of life. All things were made in and through him and for him. If for no other reason than God saying so, sin would be sin. And that would be the end of it. Even if we were a people created to serve the whimsies of a whimsical God... Because God created, that would be sufficient for sin to be sin. I once had this car. Um, Actually, it wasn't my car. I borrowed it from a friend. Flew into the airport in Atlanta. Uh, When I flew into the airport, my buddy had left his car at the airport because he was flying out of Atlanta, and I was going to borrow it while I was visiting my family down in Georgia. And so I got in this car. It's a little white sports car, and it was way cooler than anything I'd ever driven or anything. I might have used this illustration before, so bear with me if if you've heard it before. Um, It was one of those unique experiences because I jumped in the car, and my brother Ben was riding next to me there, and we were driving through rush hour traffic in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta. Rush hour traffic downtown Atlanta doesn't mean you're going like stop and go. It means everybody's going 80 miles an hour. You know, and you're just, like, going through downtown, 18 lanes of traffic. It's just insane getting through there in Atlanta. And we're driving and, you know, just kind of enjoying it. You know, got the hand up on the wheel, acting all cool in this little white sports car. And we hear this click. I mean, that's all it was, click. And the next thing you know, I'm over in the next lane. Didn't move the wheel at all. I've never had anybody explain why this car did this because apparently cars aren't supposed to do this at all. And my brother Ben looked at me, and he was like, what did you just do? I was like, I didn't do anything. He was like, why did you just, I, he had no way of explaining it. Why did you just shift lanes, going from, you know, from this lane to that lane, and, and doing it without signaling, without any, you know, rush hour traffic? He was like, that's insane. I was like, I didn't do anything. He was like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know. And we just keep driving down the road, and I kind of got over into the right lane because I was scared of this car now, and we're st- we keep driving and all of a sudden I hear another click. Next thing I you know, over in the next lane. Don't move the steering wheel a bit. That car, I think for all intents and purposes, we could look at that car and say that car was broken. Why? Because the person who authored it, the person who created it, the person who designed it, and me, who was driving it and wanted to go in a certain direction, did not intend for it to do what it just did. If that thing, if that car, we say it was broken because it was a machine, but if that car could think, I would say that car was sinning. It was doing something wrong. It was doing something it was not designed for. Because God creates, God uh, created, He determines the purpose and the direction. He 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 uh, He calls the purpose and direction for our lives. Let's go to the next slide here. Because God created, he determines purpose and direction. And when we fail to, to live up to that purpose and direction, it is sin. When a man stops fulfilling the purpose God designed him for, it reflects something is wrong. We're going to go back to Genesis here for a second. Did you ever wonder why? Let's go to that Genesis passage here. Genesis one twenty six. God sets the direction for our life. And this is one of the cool things when God created. And you read the whole Genesis passage. We memorize all the things that God created on each and every one of the days. But one of the things that we look overlook so many times is that along with everything that God created, he gave a purpose and a function and a meaning for that creation. You see it for each one of the days. But then on the sixth day when God created man, this is the purpose and the function that he gave to us. He said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God gave us purpose and meaning. He gave us purpose and meaning right there. What was the first sin? I'm kind of leading you on a little path and it'll make sense in a second here, I hope. What was the first sin? Adam and Eve ate from the fruit in the garden, right? That's kind of what we're taught in a lot of the Sunday school classes. I'm starting to wonder about this one. Because I think the first sin was that Adam forgot his purpose in the direction that God had set for him. Read it again. Keep reading this. It says, let us make man our image after likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea. Let him have dominion. That's what God created man for, to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And it's like Jesus is starting to whisper into Adam and Eve's ears. Out of all of creation, he says, hey, and have dominion over every creeping thing. Dominion over every creeping thing. Do you think God's kind of given Adam and Eve a heads up? Your purpose and your direction is to have dominion. To have dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on the face of the earth. Satan was, Lucifer, was known as the most beautiful angel. He could have used that beauty to come and trick Adam and Eve. You know, it seems like a common enough plotline in movies. Why did Satan choose to take on the form of a creeping thing? What was he trying to accomplish? I think he was calling into question. He was trying to undermine God's plan and purpose and direction in humanity. If he could call that into question, he could get them to sin. He could break them. Adam had dominion over everything that creeps, and yet Satan comes up. Adam was supposed to have dominion over that that serpent that tempted him. But in the temptation story, you know, the, the fall of man, what happened? The serpent had dominion over man. The roles had been reversed from the way that God had created them to be. That's what sin is. It's a brokenness. The car wasn't designed to do what it did to me. It was broken. Let's go to the next slide here real quick. When we forget our purpose, we are destined to sin. I like this passage here in, in 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. I found a picture that was hopefully you can't see it too clearly, because it's one of those scandalous pictures that you never see in Sunday school on the flannel board. You might know what I'm talking about. It comes from 2 Samuel, and this is the story of King David when he fell into temptation. He was doing great, he was living his life, you know, living for the Lord. And you remember the story where he was at home one day, and he was on top of his palace, or in his palace he was overlooking, and saw a woman bathing, he lusted, had her... Her husband killed, and uh, he had an adulterous relationship with her, essentially. He sinned all over the place. But why did he sin? You know, it's like, what, what kind of led up to that sin? And this, part, this uh, passage in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it kind of gives us a clue. Where should David, King David have been? It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Where are kings supposed to be in the springtime? Off to war. Where was King David? He wasn't fulfilling the purpose that he was was made for as king. He was put there by God. He was at home and he sent his men off. And they still destroyed everyone. They still won the battle. But even though they were victorious, David, because he wasn't fulfilling his God-given purpose, meaning and direction, he fell into sin. He fell into sin. So when man, when creation, man, let's go to the next slide here, I think it's up there, maybe not. When creation, man, stops fulfilling its creator's, God's purpose, something is wrong, and that is what we call sin. So just by virtue of God being God, he is in authority, he is providential, he has the right to say what is right and wrong. We as created beings do not have the ability or the right to sit in judgment on God. Romans 9, 20-21 says this, But who are you, O oh man? to Answer back to God. What will, uh, what, will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? God is the only one who can say, Because I said so. He spoke the world into the being. He, he upholds it. And if he should gather his breath to himself, all would perish. This is enough for sin to be sin simply because God said so, because God is wrong. If God said it was wrong to enjoy a sunny day, it would be wrong because God created us. If God said it was wrong, uh, you know, to, to drive on the right side of the road, it would be a sin. He would be perfectly justified in doing so. I'm so thankful that when we define sin, it just doesn't stop with us living our lives according to the whimsies of a whimsical God. It's true, he could do that. But it's so much sin is sin so much more than just God is God. Sin is sin because God is good. Sin is sin because God is good. There's all kinds of reason and evidence that we can see, and no greater evidence than in the Son, Jesus Christ, that that God sent for us. But looking back even to the beginning of time, we can see the goodness of God. Let's go to this next verse here. Sin is sin because uh, when I consider, well, let's look at this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. God made man to have dominion over his creation. Where could have God put man? He put him in the Garden of Eden. Where could he have? Were there other alternatives? Yes. Where could he have put them? Anywhere else. But where did he put us? He put mankind in the Garden of Eden. What was the position he put Adam and Eve? He could have just been, I don't know what the lowliest position could have been in the Garden of Eden, but they could have had any other position. But he made them as, to have dominion over creation. And he could have given them nothing. But yet God said, it is all yours to take care of. He gave them everything. God shows us his goodness to us, even from the beginning of time. Jonah 4, too, shows us the goodness of God. It says, For I know that you are a good and gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He is a good God. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. God is a good God. God is a good God. One of my favorite things as a parent, and I've told you this before, is to do good things for my kids. One of the favorite things we do is to go to Mooville. Right, girls? Like going to Mooville? And I think the girls love going to Mooville, too. They love going to Mooville because they know every time we go there, they get ice cream. And I love going to Mooville because every time we go there, I know I get to give my girls ice cream. It's the kind of relationship that God wanted with his children in the Garden of Eden. The greatest good for my kids right now is when I am able to provide good things for them that they could never provide for themselves right now. And their greatest good is in enjoying my provision in their lives. Because God is good Sin is when we trade God's goodness for our own goodness, which I wouldn't even qualify as goodness. Adam, when he sinned, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they had everything given to them by God. And what did they trade God's best for? Their best. Sin is that they traded dependency on a good and loving father for independence on themselves for what they could provide. We will never be able to provide the same level of goodness that God can provide for us. Any of you had siblings like my older brother Wesley, you had learned this very quickly in life. We used to have, you know, change and, you know, a little bit of money. And Wesley would come up to me and he would give me, he would say, look at this penny, it's so much bigger than your dime, John, your stupid little dime that's silver. You know, look at my penny, John, it's so much bigger. He was like, You want to trade? By that time, I was like, Yeah, shoot, I'd be stupid not to. And I trade my penny, my dime for his pennies all day long. Wesley's over there getting rich, and I'm just getting a pile of heapless, worthless junk that is, you know, it's nothing compared to what I traded it for. That's what sin is. Trading the goodness of God and what he has created for that his purpose is good for us. We traded that all away for dependency or for independence on ourselves and for what we can provide for us. I don't know how you feel like your provision for yourself is going in life. But I know mine is far far short. I can't provide for my needs. I wasn't made provide for my needs there's only one that was made to provide for our needs and that is God sin is sin because God is God he created us he can say sin is whatever it is but it's so much more than that sin is sin because God is good and he wants to provide good things for his children sin is sin when we trade those good things that God has made us for we trade them for worthless things for rubbish Last point real quick, and we'll, we'll close up soon here. Sin is sin is because God is relational. You can, won't go through all these passages, but in Matthew 6, we see that God is the Father, like we just described. Psalm 23, he is a shepherd. Romans 8 talks about we as his children. In Ephesians 5, it talks about husbands and wives and the relationship that that shows between us and, and Christ. God is relational. And because God is relational, sin is anything that damages our relationship with God or with people. Like Matthew 22, and Spencer mentioned this with, in our Sunday school this morning. Matthew 22 says, uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God, love people. Sin is sin because God is God. Sin is sin because God is good, and sin is sin because God is relational. Sin is anything that damages our relationship with others. That's why God hates sin, because it destroys his relationship with his children. That's why I hate sin, so much evident in the lives of my children. I hate it when my kids fight. I hate it when they lie. I hate it when they cheat. I hate it when they steal. I hate it when they do all those things because I, it just creates havoc in my home. I see it so clearly in their lives, but I don't see it quite so clearly and evident in my own lives. Sometimes we can minimize and think it's only the big sins that wreak havoc, but when I see it, just those small, relatively small sins, as we put them active in my own kids' lives, I see it like, man, it's destroying you. You're sisters. your sisters. You should love each other. God loves you. Who cares about that stupid little doll? People are more important than things. That's why God hates sin. It's because it destroys relationships. God hates sin so much that he's going to destroy sin. The only problem is that to destroy sin, he would just have to destroy each and every single one of us because we are sinners. It's inherent to us. It's part of our nature. It's deeper than our DNA. We have broken God's law because he said so. We have despised the goodness of God and traded it for filth and rubbish. We have despised our relationships with God and all too easily destroy our relationships with others. And we lament, if there is a God, why doesn't he just get rid of sin? And again, the problem to get rid of sin is he would have to get rid of us. He would have to destroy man. I've heard so many times, I can't believe in a God who would send anyone to eternal destruction. That's a warped view of who our God is. The only thing standing between us and eternal destruction is God. If he were to withhold his breath, if he would stay his hand and pull back, if he would remove himself from our lives, we are condemned already. God doesn't have to throw anyone or condemn anyone to that judgment. It is is ours already. And only by his grace are we saved. Only by his grace are we saved. And that's the beauty of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on all of us, and all of our sin, and all of the law breaking, and all of the despising the goodness of God, and all of the relationships that we we've broken. He's taken on all of that, so that we can have all of Him, and we can have this today. Sitting in your seat, if you have not already done this, you can have this today. Sitting in your seat, you don't have to raise a hand, you don't have to close your eyes, you don't have to come down to the altar. We are all as powerless as the thief on the cross who was hanging there, nailed to the cross, and he acknowledged one thing, very important thing. I deserve to be here, but Jesus doesn't. He is the perfect and holy Son of God that has come to die for my sins. Sin is a problem. No matter how big or small we view them, it is warranting of death. And Jesus came to die for our sins. And that truth can be yours today if you believe in your heart right there in your seat. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you are not just a whimsical God who makes up crazy rules that we have to to keep in order to gain your favor, to gain your blessing. Even though it's enough that you are a creator, you could perfectly easily do that. You are justified in doing that, but God, you are so much more. Sin is sin for so many more reasons than just that. You are also a good God, and you love us. And God, we are all guilty of despising that goodness in our lives. Every time we sin, we trade Your goodness. We trade your blessing. We trade everything that you want to be to us for something that is worthless. God, we have damaged our relationship with you. God, we actively damage and destroy relationships with other people. Father, I pray for forgiveness for all of us in this room. That we will see sin for what it is. Deserving of death. God, that we will see you for who you are. That you are a loving father trying to save the children that he loves. God, you desire that no man should perish. So Lord, I just pray that we will all respond to that gospel message. Everyone in this room, Lord, if we have not already, to put our trust, to put our hope, put our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done on the cross for us. God, help us to live lives freed from sin because we know what it looks like. We know the purpose and we know the direction that you have called us to as Christians is to live for you. God, help us to keep our eye on that purpose so we are not so easily deceived by the schemes of Satan who comes and tries to flip-flop the purpose that you have made us for, that tries to confuse us God, may we never get to the point of seeing that fruit and eating from it. God, may we be so focused on your calling in our lives to be loved by you and to love others in that same way. God, that we will be kept from sin, and that we will live holy lives, that we will be holy as you are holy, set apart. And so, God, we just give you glory for the good that comes from our lives as we live in this freedom that you have offered us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.